Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Zachary Zane, a Brooklyn-based columnist, sex expert, and activist whose work focuses on sexuality, lifestyle, culture, and the LGBTQ community. He has a sex advice column at Men's Health titled Sexplain It, and his work has been published in Rolling Stone, The Washington Post, GQ, Playboy, and many more. He also has a weekly newsletter titled Boy Slut, where he writes erotic essays. Today, we're going to be talking about bisexuality and what people tend to get wrong about it. Bisexuality continues to be one of the most misunderstood and controversial sexualities, so I thought it was important to do an episode to set the record straight. And maybe straight isn't the right word there, but you know what I mean. We're also going to be answering some of your questions about sex that were submitted in advance by my Instagram followers. And if you want a chance to have your questions answered on a future episode, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Justin J. Miller. This is going to be a really fun conversation, so let's get to it. Hi, Zach, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so happy to have you here to talk about sex and bisexuality. The last time I saw you was actually at a sex club. We weren't there for the sex. Rather, we were attending <laughs> a book launch party of a mutual friend and fellow sex writer, Gigi Engel. And it was such a fun night. There were cocktails, erotic cupcakes, and a whole room full of sex writers and educators just having a great time. And I really hope that when your book comes out, I know you're working on something, that you have a party like that and that you please extend an invitation to me. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I'm finishing up. My agent and I have been doing our last run for book proposal edits, so we'll be shopping that out hopefully in the next few months. Once I quit dragging my feet here, I just need to do this final run of edits, and this book should get written here. Well, that's exciting. I can't wait for it, and I can't wait for the launch party, which will hopefully be at a sex club. Yes. So to kick off our conversation, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional journey? So specifically, how did you become a sex writer in the first place? It's a little roundabout way how I got there. So I actually thought I was going to get a PhD in clinical psychology. So after college, I worked at Harvard Medical Center as a smoking cessation researcher and counselor. So figuring out the best way to get people to quit smoking cigarettes. I kind of freaked out, did not want to go into academia, and I don't want to shit on it because I know it's what you do, but I, I, I thought for a seemingly altruistic profession, these people were cutthroat, they were nasty, they were stealing my work, and I was like, I don't want to do this. So I started writing, and I wrote this piece for Exo Jane's Vertical. Exo Jane's Vertical, they had something called It Happened to Me, which is like where you would sell your soul and say the most embarrassing, ridiculous, crazy thing about you. And they give you $50. It was honestly, it was exploitation. Now that I think about it, <laughs> but um, so this is the first piece I ever got published. And the title I think they went with was I came out as bisexual and now can't date anyone gay or straight. And I spoke about my experience coming out as bi and the struggle and the journey I had to finally embrace my identity. And I thought once I embraced it, Embrace being by like my life would get a lot easier, but then no one would date me. 
women wouldn't date me because they were afraid that I was secretly gay and I was going to leave them for a man. And then a lot of men wouldn't date me because they were like, oh, you're bi. Oh, you'll figure it out. I said I was bi too on my way to being gay and had this very kind of condescending demeanor and, and approach to dating me. They didn't want to date someone who was unsure of their sexuality. But I was like, no, I am sure. I know I'm bisexual. I know I'm new to claiming this, but I'm not going to turn out gay. My my experience is not going to mirror yours. So I wrote this piece about kind of the trouble I had dating and how I ended up falling in love with this bi woman and we dated. And I spoke about how, yeah, how it was really important for me as a bi person to date someone else who was also bi. And this piece just went viral. And I, I think it went viral because there was such, at the time, this was six years ago now, there were very few essays or pieces about bisexual men in this way. And even things about bisexuality only started popping up in like the 2010s, I feel like anyway. And I don't want to like erase the work of people who have been doing stuff for much longer than that. But in terms of the mainstream LGBTQ conversation, it really only started in like the 2010s. And it was a lot of very basic content. It was a lot of here are 10 things to never say to a bisexual person or I'm a bi woman. I don't want to be solicited for a threesome on Tinder. And that was kind of it just bisexual content that was deep and nuanced. There's very few articles written specifically from a bi-male experience. And I think because of that, it just resonated with so many people. And I got dozens of emails from that article being like, I thought I was so alone. I haven't told anyone I was bi. You really helped me. And kind of from that piece, I became known as the bi guy. And I just ended up writing a ton. I've written probably over 500 articles about bisexuality. And eventually, yes, they do They do start running into each other. I had a, a column at bisexual.org called Goodbye Love. And it ran for like two years. And finally, my editor was like, hey, so your pieces are getting redundant. Do you mind if we stop? I'm like, oh, thank God. I, I, there's nothing more I can write about right now. But... Yeah. So then I really became the bi guy through that. And from that, I kind of branched out to queer sexuality, you know, dating and sex for gay and bi men. Then I branched out to queer women and eventually just to, you know, people of all genders and all sexual orientations, which is how I ended up landing the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health. And predominantly there, I help obviously men. So that's kind of my journey, how I became a sex writer and sex educator over the past six or seven years. And that perfectly demonstrates why I invited you to speak on this subject, because so many of the things that you described in your experiences are things that I want to dive into, the myths and misconceptions about bisexuality. You know, a lot of people today still don't seem to believe that it's even a thing. And there are lots of media portrayals that are just, you know, totally wrong. And as one contemporary example of this, one of the many shows that I binge watched during quarantine was Insatiable on Netflix. And there's this scene where two of the main characters, both of whom are men married to women, end up kissing. And it leads to this awkward moment where one of them says to the other, go ahead, tell yourself you're bisexual. We all go through that phase. And then he follows this up by saying, bisexuals are like demons or aliens. They don't exist. And when I heard that, I just totally cringed. And the show went downhill from there. And I don't think I even finished it. But I mention it because it's a prime example of how 
widespread these wrong ideas about bisexuality are. And I think a big part of the issue is that a lot of people just don't understand the concept of bisexuality at all. So let me start with this question. What does it mean to be bisexual? Yeah. So bisexual just means you're attracted to multiple genders. And for me, that's all genders. I'm attracted to men, women, and non-binary people. Uh, of course, I'm attracted to trans men and trans women as well. If you're attracted to men, you're attracted to trans men and trans women. That's how it works. There's a little bit of confusion with bisexuality, honestly, within the bisexual community and outside of it, because now we have the word pansexual. And pansexual mean you're attracted to all genders. And the reason why pansexual exists is because people thought bisexual sounded binary. From it, they made like, oh, you're only attracted to men and women. You're not being inclusive of non-binary people. You're not being inclusive of trans people. And at the risk of kind of outing myself as an older person here, I, I don't quite understand, like, I don't see the need for pansexuality. I think people, if you want to label yourself as pan, of course, do it. That's amazing. Whatever makes you feel comfortable. But bisexual people like myself do not find the label to be binary. There's no reason why it would just mean cisgender men and cisgender women. There's no reason why it wouldn't be inclusive of non-binary people just because it's bisexual. So that's what the kind of confusion is within the community and you'll even see this infighting within by between bisexual and pansexual people, though I haven't seen it as much recently. Hopefully we've realized we have bigger issues where pansexual I've even been told that being bisexual is transphobic. And I was like, that is fucking insane. That makes zero sense. Like I I, I probably I date significantly more, I think, trans and non-binary people than anyone gay, than anyone who is straight. And I think a lot of the reason why is I love, I actually love gender fluid people. I love people who are both highly masculine and highly feminine. And I've always been very attracted to that, to kind of all of that. So it's, it's frustrating for me when I'm told like, oh, being bisexual is not inclusive. It means that you're not attracted to a certain group of people. I also know like very few bisexual people, like maybe zero who are just like, oh no, I'm attracted to men and women, but I'm not attracted to non-binary people. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense, really. <laughs> like, if you're attracted to men and women, you'd be attracted to non-binary people. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But, I mean, you can kind of tell. I'm just, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating when people are telling me I'm transphobic or bisexuality isn't inclusive when it really is, like, the most inclusive of all genders. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's my little rant about that. Yeah, and... I think what you're saying reflects the fact that a lot of people project their own beliefs about what bisexuality is onto bisexual people. And yeah. I think a lot of people hold this belief that being bisexual means that you are equally attracted to men and women and like, that's it. Right. And, and, there's sort of this defining element of equal attraction and that if you're more attracted to one gender than another, then you're not really bisexual. And in those definitions, the the labels that people are applying, you know, they're not even making room for trans or non-binary individuals because they're coming at this from a very binary perspective of what sex and gender mean. So I think so much of the, you know, outside tension that 
happens with bisexuality is just stemming from people's own you know, personal beliefs or biases about that. And something else that I think is important to add into this is that different people who are bisexual or who are pansexual define those terms in their own ways. In fact, there's this mm-hmm. one study that I have my students read in my human sexuality course on 13 different ways of defining bisexuality. And one of those definitions is the definition that you gave that's about being attracted to more than one gender, which is the definition that a lot of people tend to apply to pansexuality, right? So some people define bisexuality in the same way as pansexuality, but other people take more limited definitions. Some people make a distinction between the two. And then that leads to this infighting. It leads to confusion. And, you know, ultimately, I I think part of the issue here is that sexuality and sexual identity is so deeply personal to people that it, it takes on this really great importance to them. And a lot of people tend to like or think that their idea or their conceptualization of sexuality is better than or superior to others. And, you know, the truth of the matter is that there are different ways of defining all of these different sexualities. There's no mutually agreed upon definition. And I think that's part of the confusion and part of the issue that we keep running into. Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, I don't care how you personally define, you know, there are, there's, there's, I've heard ambisexual, polysexual, and other types of sexually fluid. There, there are a lot of words to describe the same thing. I just worry when it's just like, I'm trying to talk to my parents about this and they can't understand it. And you're talking to people who are not, you know, adept and well versed in like LGBTQ lingo or sex and gender. And then when they hear all these terms, they're just like, fuck it. You guys are all ridiculous. You guys, you know what I mean? I I think it's a very easy way. I'm kind of getting into more of the politics of it, but I think if we want people to understand us, and I think that is the goal because I think it's important for gay and straight people to understand bisexuality in order to embrace it. And if they can't understand what it is because we have 12 different definitions, I don't think that's good. And again, I'm speaking more to my politics, I think, than anything else. And so I think that's where a lot of my frustration comes. But on a personal level, I don't care how you identify, whatever makes you happy, if that makes sense. But I think a part of me is just like, we need to rally behind one something so that way people get us because people don't understand bisexuality. People have so much confusion around it. That's, you know, why you're having me on the show. So I think it could behoove us to have a little bit of clarity. Well, it also makes it hard from a scientific standpoint when you want to study these things because if different people have different definitions and understandings, you know, how are you supposed to approach that as a researcher? Like, how do you even measure sexual orientation? You know, this is something that back when I was in graduate school many years ago, the way we assessed sexual orientation was very simplistic. You know, there was one question about sexual identity and it had a couple of limited options, but there's all kinds of questions that we need to ask now because sexual identity, sexual attraction, sexual behavior. These are all distinct but overlapping concepts and they all have different personal meaning to individuals. And so it makes the scientific study of sexual orientation very complex in terms of 
how we look at this. And especially if you want to understand things like what is the origin of same-sex attraction? You know, if you want to look at what are the potential theories genetically, biologically, evolutionarily that might explain this, it becomes enormously complicated to do that because what is your definition of sexual orientation that you're even applying? This stuff is important and people don't realize that if, if there's like, Bisexual people have like the highest rates in the LGBT community of depression, of anxiety, of domestic violence, of eating disorders, more so than their gay and lesbian peers, of opioid abuse and drug addiction. And so when we have a study and we're all using different words, and so let's say the results don't come out solid. I mean, you as a researcher, you would know to group all the labels together at this point. But it's just like bisexual resources, we have we get the least amount of money from any other LGBT group. Like we, we need to unify together. There is power in numbers, there's power in us getting money for resources to help us. And that's why like this does actually have an impact on the larger community, which is why I think I'm so adamant about it. Yeah, I mean, the the politics of sexual orientation and sexual identity, like we could do a whole episode just on yeah, that. We don't have to get into it. Yeah, I'm opinionated. So let's, let's move on here. <laughs> so let's talk about something that you mentioned in your journey to becoming a sex writer, which is, you know, how bisexual people establish relationships with others. And I happen to know a lot of bisexual people. And one thing I've heard from a lot of my bisexual male friends in particular is that they're sexually attracted to men, but emotionally attracted to women. And as they tell me, it's not that they're opposed to relationships with men, but that they find it very hard to find men who want more than just sex. And so finding that emotional connection or intimacy is is difficult. But some of them then really struggle when it comes to starting relationships with women because a lot of women think that they're secretly gay. So what are your thoughts on this? And what kind of advice would you offer to bisexual people who might be struggling a bit when it comes to relationships just because of you know some of the stigma and other issues that exist when it comes to bisexuality? It's interesting what you brought up among the people you mentioned is how oftentimes our preferences, quote unquote, our quote unquote preferences towards a gender are not from the fact that it's simply easier. And kind of what what you're describing is, you know, these men have trouble having romantic relationships with men because a lot of the gay men they're meeting, let's say, are seeking more casual affairs versus for me, I tend to gravitate more towards men when I date just because for me I actually find it easier to date men I feel like they're typically zero gender roles gender norms I it's difficult I actually currently have a girlfriend right now even though I might be tend to date more men I can't bring my girlfriend to the eagle I can't go to certain clubs with her and I prefer much going to gay clubs than straight clubs without getting side eye from people and that sucks so I tentatively because I exist in gay spaces because I like casual sex I end up dating more men. It's much easier for me to date and have sex with men. That said, I fell in love with a woman and she's also bisexual. And so I'm dating her. You know what I mean? So just because I typically date men or even potentially have a preference towards men, just like when you love one person, it kind of doesn't really even matter at that point. But you know, what I will say is do your best to fund a bisexual community if possible I think it kind of seems, it seems difficult 
And it is difficult. And I mean, if you live in Bumblefuck, Idaho, in the middle of nowhere, it's probably hard. But if you live in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco or a big city, there are large bisexual groups. Oftentimes they're kind of through sex club or sex places. But if you just kind of Google, you know, bisexual groups, bisexual nights, whatever it is, you'll see what comes up. And I think really um, surrounding yourself with other bisexual people, it's a lot easier for me to date bi people which is why I tend to do that. Um, there's a lot of just understanding and acceptance and there's less jealousy and confusion and all of that stuff. Really surround yourself with queer people who would be, I think, the most accepting. I think it's also helpful to not hide being bisexual, like on dating apps. I think a lot of people, you'll notice that when I say I'm bi on Tinder, I get far fewer matches. I like, you know, women probably, I get probably a 10th of the matches I would do on Tinder with women. If I didn't list bisexual, it becomes a, a good filter. You end up finding a lot more bi people. You end up finding people who are clearly okay with you being bisexual. So I think it's honestly a lot better to be open and straightforward about it from the get-go. You'll definitely get more rejections, but I think you waste a lot less time. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention, when you said Bumblefuck, I'm like, is that a new app that I've not heard of? Um, <laughs> I don't think it probably should be. But, oh my God, I love it. <laughs> but I think that's all great advice. You know, finding that social support network, I think is really important for bisexual people. This is a topic I want to get into next, which is, kind of the lack of social support that exists for bisexual people in the LGBTQ community. But before we get into that, I also just wanted to highlight, you know, what you said about not hiding your bisexuality, because this is where I see a lot of people get into relationship conflict and trouble. And it's where they hide this identity from a partner. They start a relationship without being their authentic sexual self with their partner. And so the bisexuality gets discovered later in the relationship and then becomes the source of conflict and tension because the one partner feels betrayed or misled because you weren't upfront with them about that at first. But then on top of that, they have all of these incorrect beliefs and stereotypes about what bisexuality means. And they think that it means you're incapable of monogamy and that you're eventually going to leave them for, you know, a partner of the same sex, you know? So I, I, I think, think it, re, it reinforces a lot of their concerns, which people don't realize. I've yelled at my friend about this recently because he run, he started dating a new girl and he runs in the same problem where he does not tell her until a month and it becomes a problem. And I'm like, if you're hiding it, it makes it seem like there's a reason why you're hiding it. It makes it seem like you are being duplicitous. You are being shameful. You are being secretive. And again, I don't want to shame bisexual people. I understand how you don't necessarily should feel compelled or obligated to tell people. But when you make it this secret or you make it this big deal, it becomes a big deal. If you say from the get-go, hey, just so you know, I'm bisexual, I'm attacked to all genders, this is what this means, I I think people are more likely to be okay with it. That said, people might immediately say, that's weird. I've definitely had people say some pretty terrible things and say they don't want to see me or date me or sleep with me after I pull them on bisexual. But I think that's so much better. I really just think it's so much better than waiting. Also, then you have to deal with the fact that you're holding the secret and you're nervous. You're like, when can I tell them? I'm hiding this whole part of my life. I can't tell them about my ex-boyfriend. 
I can't tell them about the gay clubs I go to. So you're starting off the relationship on by lying, not on solid ground, where you don't feel comfortable being yourself. And so I really am a proponent for just being forward and forward about it from the beginning. And if you end up getting rejected, so be it. Fuck them. You move on to the next person. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think the same is true when you're talking about, you know, sharing a bisexual identity as when you're talking about a kinky identity or fetish that you might have, you know, so many people hide these aspects of themselves for a really long time in a relationship. And the longer they hide it, the bigger the problem it ends up becoming later on. And so I think there's something to be said for having more of that honesty up front in the relationship in terms of increasing the chances of finding somebody who is a good fit and match for you and also getting what you want out of sex and having your identities and sexual orientations and values and attitudes, you know, having all of these things, these different aspects of the self validated, I think is really important and can relieve a lot of that shame and stigma and stress that comes along with keeping them secret. Um, but we talked a little bit about LGBTQ bias against bisexual people. And it's interesting because bisexuals statistically are actually the largest component of the LGBTQ community. This wasn't always the case. In fact, it used to be that gay men and lesbians vastly outnumbered bisexual identified people. But now bisexual identified people vastly outnumber gays and lesbians and people who have any other queer identity. So despite them being the largest single group within the LGBTQ community, there's all these stereotypes that exist within the community against bisexuals. And I shared an article the other day about how gay men tend to see bisexual men as being secretly gay and lesbians tend to see bisexual women as being secretly straight. And this is kind of weird, right? Because gays and lesbians are like all about being your authentic sexual self and celebrating diversity, but bisexuality doesn't really seem to fit into that for some reason. So I know this is a big question and there's not an easy answer to it, but what can we do to make the LGBTQ community a more accepting place for bisexuals? Well, fuck me. Um, it's <laughs> tough. I, I thought you were oh, man, I was hoping you would have the answer. It's, uh, you were, I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that question. I mean, I, I think it ties in with some of the things we were talking about earlier in terms of resetting people's beliefs, correcting the myths and misconceptions. And, you know, I think, I think part of the prejudice that exists within the LGBTQ community against bisexuals is that many gays and lesbians view bisexuality as a threat to them, as something that invalidates their own identity because it suggests somehow that sexual orientation is a choice, right? And that you can choose to be with people of any gender. And I think that's where part of the discomfort stems from. And I think addressing those issues and addressing the, the stereotypes is a big part of how we increase by acceptance in the LGBTQ community. But if you have any other thoughts on that, or if you want to take the question in a different direction, no, that's fine. It, it's, it's tough. It's, I understand a little bit of, of why the threatening nature of it. You know, I had a doctor when I went moved to New York and they assigned me a doctor and I went to go get prep and I said, I'm bisexual. And he said, well, if you're bisexual, you can choose to sleep with women and therefore I'm not prescribing you prep. And I was like, well, this wow. is fucked up. This was a shitty doctor. And I left in tears actually. 
But I understand where bisexuality kind of makes it seem that like, oh, there's this choice. But it, it, it's, I don't choose who I fall in love with. You know, I'm not choose, you know, I can't choose the person who I can be with. I can, you know, feel a way towards a man and then push that deep down and be unhappy and then I guess fall in love with a woman. But that's not equal rights. That's not good. That's not positively, you know, that's not progress. And I also think there's a little bit of a frustration with especially bisexual people in you know, quote unquote, straight relationships or opposite gender relationships where it's a man and a woman. And it's just like, I get it. When I walk down the street with my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend, we would hold hands. We'd get called faggots. I was told, I hope you guys get AIDS. Um, just like if we hold hands one out of every, well, one out of every probably three times we get called a faggot or fuck you gays or something walking down the street in Brooklyn. This shit happens, like, people are like, oh, does that still happen? Like, yes, this happens all the time. I'm afraid to kiss my boyfriend in public when I'm walking home. I don't want to get mugged. You know, I have to look over my shoulder when I hold his hand. And when I'm dating my girlfriend now, I don't have to do that. You know, I can kiss her on the street and it's fine. I can hold her hands. I'm not threatened violence. I'm not worried I'm going to be fired from work or any of those things, whatever it is. So I understand being like, you're not a part of our community because you don't have our struggle. And I want to say I understand that feeling and that feeling is valid. But I also do want to express that, you know, when I'm dating a woman, how I, it's, I, I am still queer. I'm still a part of this community. I still deserve to be here just as much as you do. But I think it's tough. I, I understand the frustration towards bi people in straight passing relationships, but I, I think it's not even though I, I don't experience violence, like I feel like I have my identity kind of ripped away from me when I date a woman, which is often why I don't like dating women. I feel like I'm no longer queer enough for certain spaces, but I realize that's my own insecurity and something I need to get over. Yeah, that idea of not being queer enough, you know, is another part of this, like that there's almost this purity test that is sometimes applied within the LGBTQ community, you know, within certain subgroups or segments of it. And, you know, in order to be one of us, you have to be with us, you know, completely 100%. Otherwise, you're not part of this group. And so I think, you know, those purity tests are part of the problem here. And, you know, again, I think the real issue here is correcting the incorrect beliefs that people hold about bisexuality, expanding our definition and idea of what bisexuality is, you know, taking it away from that restricted view that it means equal attraction to men and women and that's it, to this expansive view of it can mean attraction to more than one gender. I think it's just like educating yourself on it. You know, read, you know, when you're, if you're a gay person, do you scroll past every single article about bisexuality? It's like, click on it read it when you didn't know what non-binary was or gender queer was or the difference was as a gay person i bet you, you probably googled it and figured it out and put in the time to learn what the difference is because you're like okay i need to care about this community you should also care about other communities within the lgbt community as well so it's like a part of me is like what can gay and lesbian people do i'm just like be less shitty but like the way to do that is to educate to speak to bi people to read articles about it to do some introspection and learn, okay, am I threatened by bisexuality? Why do I think the things that I do? And really kind of dig deep with it, because that's 
really the only way we'll be able, I think gay and lesbian people will start being more accepting of bi people. And then I also think there's a little bit of an onus on the bisexual community. I really think we need to come out and be open and be proud as much as possible. A lot, I mean, the study they still use now, but it's from a few years ago, something where it's like only 23% of bi men are out, out or open about it, as opposed to like 80% or 90% of gay men. Those stats aren't exactly correct, but they're pretty close to those numbers. So I think, you know, if we become this, as you mentioned, we are the majority of the LGBTQ community. If we come out in numbers, you're going to have to embrace and accept us. <laughs> you can't say we no longer exist. You know what I mean? So I think. Also, if the bisexual community can just kind of be more open and vocal as well, I think that will definitely help contribute. Very true. And for people who want to educate themselves about bisexuality issues, they can start by reading your 500 articles <laughs> yes. until they start to become redundant. Just type in Zachary Zane bisexual on Google and that should do it. Honestly, bisexual.org has a lot of great resources. So does Queer Majority. Great recommendations. Uh, we have much more to discuss, including answers to some of your sex questions, but we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Hey, Zach, what's the single biggest sexual difficulty that men report? I believe it's premature ejaculation. That's right. And studies show that as many as a third of men say they've experienced this in the last year alone. And when you look at over the course of their lifetime, the number is even higher. So what are men who are struggling with this? What can they do to last longer in bed? Well, our friends at Promescent have you covered. Their delay spray is designed to increase sexual stamina. It has target zone technology that allows you to desensitize only the areas that you want and customize it for your body. And clinical studies show that it works. But don't just take the words of scientists for it. Zach, can you tell us a little bit about the effectiveness of Promescent, either from your own personal experiences or things you've heard from others? Yeah, I love Promescent. I've been using them for almost a year now. No, but I found them, I discovered them during early quarantine. So like I probably discovered them maybe April or May of last year. And I've tried a bunch of different like premature ejaculation sprays and creams and the other ones i've tried really are just like a numbing cream it's the equivalent of putting lidocaine on your penis so completely numbs your penis which is like i I guess effective but it does not feel good for you like you can't even feel your penis half the time while having sex and that's not fun i still want to be able to enjoy it and that's what i love about permescent because it just decreases like sensitivity so that you're not going to ejaculate as quickly but it still feels good. It still feels pleasurable. You can still feel your own dick while you're having sex, which I think is very important. If I'm sleeping with like someone new and I find them extremely attractive, I put it on. You just like put it on 10 minutes before you have sex. Also, people can blow you on it and it feels and it's like completely safe and they won't like taste it or anything. I still use it with new partners, especially when I get it because I don't want to get too excited. I want to show off my first time around and not come and, you know, three minutes. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Thanks for sharing that. And for those of you listening, be sure to check out Promescent. You will see why it has thousands of five-star reviews and why it's recommended by more than 2,000 medical professionals. You can also check out Promescent's other sexual health and wellness products, including their Vitaflux supplements, female arousal gel, and line of personal lubricants. They offer a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders and free shipping on orders over $10. Plus, all their orders come in discreet plain white bubble mailers to guarantee your privacy. Learn more and place your order at promescent.com. 
And we're back. Now, before we get into your sex questions, I want to take a minute to talk about sex toys with you, Zach, and specifically the taboo surrounding men's sex toys. Men use sex toys at much lower rates than women, and they might be missing out. And I think part of the, you know, concern here is that some guys think, especially straight guys, you know, think that using sex toys is something that only gay men do or that it would make them gay. It's a threat to their masculinity in some way. So how do we break this taboo that exists around men's sex toys? And also just in general, why should men consider using sex toys? And, you know, what can it do to enhance their sex lives? It's, it's always just like, do you want to have the best sex possible? If you ask a man this, if you ask, if you ask anyone this, but if you ask you know a straight man this, I believe the answer would be yes, 99% of the time. I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't be. And sex toys make your sex life better, period. They do things that like humans, you or your partner cannot. Like you, vibrations, I, I pretty much only use sex toys now that vibrate because it's. I, I think they feel so good. And they really allow you to have more like full body orgasms as opposed to orgasms localized to your genitals. Like sometimes, you know, I feel like you can just ejaculate or orgasm. It's like, okay, it feels good in my penis in that area. But like when I orgasm with certain sex toys, you know, if I use a vibrating prostate massager, I feel the orgasm in my left elbow. I feel it in my right eyeball. I feel it from my head to my toe. I honestly imagine it being more similar to how women or people with vulva experience orgasms, if I had to guess. And so, I mean, the question is simple. If you want to have the most pleasurable sex possible, you should use sex toys, period. And I, I mean, I do get it, though. Like, well, uh, oftentimes, especially when you think of, like, fleshlights or male masturbators, you think of, like, a 30-year-old virgin who lives in his mom's basement. And I don't know exactly why it got that reputation, of being kind of skeezy, but it, but again, it's just stupid. And don't let these things get to you. Like your sex life will get better. You will have more powerful orgasms. You will definitely be able to pleasure your partner better if you whip out sex toys. It's just a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and you know the research backs this up. As I've blogged about before, there are studies showing that using male masturbators can actually help guys to develop better ejaculatory control. So you know that's another way that you know some guys who orgasm too quickly might be able to learn to delay their orgasm. But there's also some research showing that you know using these male masturbators can also help men who have what's called delayed ejaculation or delayed orgasm, where it takes them a really long time to reach climax. So, you know, there are some potential sexual health and wellness benefits that can come along with this, but then there's also just the increased novelty factor by trying something new that increases your arousal. It creates this more immersive sexual experience. And if you do this with a partner and introduce a toy, you know, with them, such as a couple's vibrator or something along those lines, you know, that can introduce you both to new and different sensations that can help take your sex to a different level. And, you know, as we know in male-female sexual encounters, that clitoral stimulation is key to a lot of women in terms of their orgasms. And so if you're a guy who's coming in who is ready and prepared with your vibrator, you know, <laughs> you're going to make a lot more friends. You know, there are lots of benefits of, you know, men getting more in touch with sex toys. So another question I have for you is, 
What's some advice that you have for guys who might be beginners? You know, they're newbies to the world of sex toys. You know, there are tons of options out there, places they can go to look. So, you know, give us some suggestions, break it down. What's your advice for beginners? Sure. I mean, I think first it's kind of figure out what you want to enhance. If you're someone who, you know, if you're a bottom or someone who likes having anal penetration or at least an interested in stimulating your prostate, you know, start with small sex toys. You know, if you just want something for your penis, maybe look at it for a cock ring or a flashlight. Honestly, anything you want, you can find on Love Honey. They're just like a great sex toy retailer that has everything. And they also break it down by category, by stuff for beginners, by stuff for experts. So no matter what you're looking for, you can find it there. Yeah, I think I think do some research for your own to see like what what it is that you're kind of interested in exploring. And honestly, you can Google my name and then any sex toy next to it. I probably have read an article about it, what's it for, how to do it, you know, the difference, you know, but I think it's important if you're like, you're trying to figure out what to put up your butt, let's say, do you put up a prostate massager? Do you put up uh, anal beads? Do you put up a butt plug or do you use a dildo? They all do something different, right? So I think, do some research on your own to figure out what it is that would, you know, it's tough. I want to be able to be like, Oh, let, let me help. It's like, it really is just so dependent on what it is that you're looking for, but there's so much information out there. Yeah. Decisions, decisions. And you know, that's another thing I love about love honey is they have something for everybody's level. And just in terms of their experience level, but also their comfort level. Right. So some people feel kind of intimidated by sex toys that look too realistic or maybe they get in their head a little bit about it because something about it feels weird or objectifying to have a toy that looks so much like an actual human body part and so there are some sex toys that exist that are designed to you know not look like body parts at all and some people are more comfortable interacting with or engaging with those toys and so you know basically there's an option out there for you to fit your comfort level and experience level and just one pro tip when it comes to purchasing your first sex toy i often like to say this when i'm talking about sex toys sometimes people's eyes are bigger than their holes and they go like way too big with sex toys that they order so you know when buying sex toys it's just like sharing sexual fantasies like start low and go slow right you don't need to get the biggest most adventuresome thing out there right away I, I think that is very good advice. Um, would you say your whole your eyes are bigger than your whole? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God, um, I mean, what I think my favorite thing I actually have from Love Honey that I got recently. Speaking of like it not looking realistic, is it's the glass tentacle dildo. I mean, now we're starting to get weird and kinky. I love all this weird tentacle stuff, and I think it's hilarious. But I, I love the glass dildos too because, I don't know, it's, you can use silicone lube with it. I love the fact that it's a tentacle. My girlfriend and I use it all the time. Um, well, now I'm, I am trying to picture what the, the glass tentacle dildo looks like. So as soon as this is done, I'm going to have to go look that up. It, it sounds like it could also double as an art piece that you just have like hanging out around the house, you know? And Oh, absolutely. That's another thing with sex toys today is that they're not just for stimulation. Like these are artistic these are works of art. And some of them, you know, that's actually part of the appeal for some people is it's like a stealth 
sex toy, right? You can have it in your nightstand or sitting out and people walking by won't necessarily know it's a sex toy unless it's a tentacle glass dildo, in which case that's probably, you know, not No, people don't know. They'll think it's not. They'll think I just have a tentacle out there. But uh, which, what Miley Cyrus, what it was earlier in January, she said that she decorates her home with sex toys. I don't know if you saw that. Um, well, I love that. Now I want to visit. You know, when quarantine is over, we've got to go visit Miley's home because that's yeah, awesome. seriously. <laughs> okay, so we're running short on time, but I want to ask you a couple of quick sex questions that some of my followers have submitted. And I know you you have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sex because you answer questions all the time for your sex plane at column. So let's go. <laughs> Is it realistic to try an orgasm at the same time as your partner? And how do you make that happen? Nah, it, it's not super realistic. I mean, it's something that you can strive to achieve. I think with some people, it's a lot easier than others. I think some people have more better orgasm control, uh, both men and women who can, if you say, hey, I'm going to orgasm a minute, they can hold off and do it with that. I think the way I see it is I, I, it's something that if it happens, it's serendipitous. I think it's cool. I'll ask my partner, are you getting close? Whatever it is. So that way I say if they're getting close and they say, yeah, I try to get close and we try to do it. But if not, it is just not the, it is not, it should not be a goal. It really doesn't matter if one of you finishes first and the other one of you finishes second. It's like, so be it. It really doesn't matter at all. However, I see it like it's cool. It's cool if you can do it together. So, I mean, you, you know, your body, you know, if it's something where if you're coming too quickly, that's when you use permissive <laughs> premature ejaculation spray. I've also gotten to the point where I'm about to come. I'll pull out and either like I'll go down on my partner to the point where they're about to come. And I'll say, let me know when you're about to come. And then I can just go back in and we can come together that way. So I think pulling out to kind of give yourself a breath whatever it is, get them close and then you finish it off that way. But it really just kind of depends on you and your partner. But I think, you know, strive to do it, but it it really doesn't matter. Yeah. And one thing I would add to that is that sometimes people get hyper-focused on this and that can actually be counterproductive in terms of either of you having an orgasm, right? Because it feeds into this thing that sex therapists call the orgasmic imperative that, you know, an orgasm has to happen or it's not real sex. And so once you start getting laser focused on that orgasm and you're trying to time these orgasms so that they occur simultaneously, that can detract from your enjoyment and pleasure and your arousal. And paradoxically, it can make it less likely that the orgasm is going to happen. So I wouldn't obsess over this. It's certainly okay if you want to try for it, but don't push it too far and don't get that, you know, sort of laser focus on it. And if it doesn't happen, don't take it as like a sign of failure uh, or anything like that, because, you know, it's, it's hard to time orgasms to happen at the exact same time. Next question. How do you know if someone is actually interested in you or just being friendly and nice? I actually hear this from people all the time, like where they can't figure out if someone is flirting or being friendly. Do you have any tips for distinguishing between the two? Well, I think first, look at your previous pattern. Like, do you have people, do you learn after the fact that someone was into you? Maybe a friend will be like, oh, they had a crush on you. Why didn't you ask them out? And you're like, oh, I didn't know. 
if that's the case, it's gonna I'm gonna treat you very differently than if you're like, oh, that girl was totally into me. I'm like, no, that girl has never been into you. You're misreading these signs, right? So I think, you know, look back at your pattern and history. I think kind of the clearest way of someone just being friendly is to ask them out, you know, and that way you'll kind of get a definitive answer of being like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm reading this correctly, but I'd love to take you on a date sometime and see what they say. And if they say no, you know, then you have your answer. Don't be weird about it. If they say yes, then you you have a better sense. I think there's no harm. I think there's no harm in just asking someone out if you've been talking back and forth. I also think it's worth noting, although don't drive yourself crazy, but like worth noting are are they kind of, if you're texting or messaging, are you the one that's always instigating and are they ending the conversation? If you ask, hey, how was your day? And they say, my day was fine. And they're not asking, how was your day? What's going on? You know, if they're not really engaging with you or trying to converse, they're probably not into you. But again, it's, it's tough to read signs. So I think there's just no harm in asking someone out and just being, you know, polite and chill. And if they're not interested, you know, make it very easy for them to reject you. I think that's really important when asking people out. Is I always be like, hey, I hope I didn't misread this, or if you're too busy, I completely understand, but I'd love to take you out sometime. Whatever it is, just give them an easy way to be like, oh, sorry, I actually am too busy, whatever it is. Yeah, I think that's all good advice. And, you know, again, there's no 100% guaranteed signs for figuring out is this friendliness or flirtation. And it's just doing their best to read the room and the signs that they're giving. And I think one of the real keys is are they expressing interest in really getting to know you. So, you know, what you said yeah. about how do they respond to the questions that you ask is, is really one of the key things. Uh, there's also some research suggesting that, you know, their body language, if this is an in-person interaction, could give you some clues. So specifically people's flirting face apparently is when they have their head tilted slightly down into the side with a slight smile and their eyes turned toward you. That's kind of our scientifically backed flirtation look. So, you know, potentially paying attention to people's body language and cues can help. But also if it's something that's happening online, then it becomes harder to figure out, you know, because it's hard to read people's language and their tone through text messages. And so that's where you have to be like really careful in not over perceiving uh, too much interest and also in testing the waters the right way. So, you know, this is where a lot of guys get into trouble is because especially straight men where they're, you know, talking to a woman and she seems to be expressing some interest and then boom, he sends an unsolicited dick pic. And that is not the right way to advance or escalate that flirtation. Um, you know, when it comes to sending nudes, ask for consent first before you do that. Um, but, you know, test the waters in, in other ways. And especially when it comes to sharing nude photos online, you know, an easy way to do that is to, to say, hey, would you mind if we tried sharing some X-rated photos or something along those lines rather than just... I have to admit, in. definitely you should do that. 100% agree support. But fuck, is it awkward when people have asked me and I've had to be like, no, don't send me your <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's it's I mean but of course that's the reason why you asked because I did not want to receive it but oh fuck is that just like such a hey because I'm a very you know slutty person online I'm sluttier online than I think I am in real life kind of I don't know no I'm too slutty <laughs> in real life too I guess with COVID I forgot what sex is 
Um, uh, but yes, definitely ask. Don't, like, yeah, it, if you're just sending random fucking nudes, like, don't do that. Come on, it's we we should know better by now. I know we could do a whole episode on dick pics, you know, because that that's a whole other subject. One more question: Why are so many guys into pegging? Right, pegging is something I've been getting a lot of questions about lately, and in my research on sexual fantasies, it seems like a heck of a lot of men fantasize about being pegged and a heck of a lot of women fantasize about pegging male partners. So what can you tell us about why so many people are into pegging? Oh God, there's so many reasons. Uh, From the male perspective, you have a prostate, which is located two to three inches inside of your anus. It is jam packed, filled with nerve endings, almost as many as the clitoris. And it feels absolutely heavenly when stimulated which is why anal sex can feel just so good. And you tend to have, as I was talking earlier about kind of those localized orgasms as opposed to full body orgasms, you tend to have really strong full body prostate induced orgasms when you ejaculate with, you know, with someone inside of you. But on top of that, I think it's a really nice different kind of power differential and power structure. Oftentimes when you're being pegged, you're kind of more, submissive. I think it's very different for a man to have something inside of them. We are not used to this sensation. It is a very different sensation. I think it can be very intimate. I think it can be very romantic, honestly, in the way it's done. I think we often think of pegging as being so kinky, but it really isn't kinky. I think it's a way to facilitate intimacy. And then from the female perspective, Like a lot of women just love the power. They love the control. They love the fact that they're finally fucking someone else and they're not getting fucked. So I think this power difference can be a really big turn on. So I think pegging can be kinky. It could just be really actually intimate and romantic. And no matter what, it feels just really hot and really pleasurable. Pegging can be anything you want it to be. And more. And more. And that's what I'm taking away from that. So I think those are all great answers. And next time I have you back, I want to hear more about these elbow orgasms that you're having. (laughs) (laughs) Full body orgasms, including the elbow. But thank you so much for this amazing conversation. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Dustin. And um, so... ZacharyZane.com is my website. Sign up for my newsletter, Boy Slut, which is also going to be the name of my book. It's like erotic personal essays, plus my musings and all the stuff I can't share at other publications. It's a lot of fun and it is raunchy as fuck. And then follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's honestly the best way. So ZacharyZane underscore. Some punk has Zachary Zane and he won't give it to me. So it is ZacharyZane underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, I'm writing articles about sex and relationships every damn day. So there's always new content and fun stuff out there. Yes. And you got to be careful when you're trying to follow the sex researchers on on sex researchers and writers on social media. Uh, There's another (laughs) Justin Miller on Instagram who is like, um, you know, a adolescent boy uh who is clearly not an adult sex researcher so that's why i'm just jay miller on instagram so you know just make sure you follow the right person you know because if you're seeing posts that look like they're from a 12 year old boy they are from a 12 year old boy so you know look for uh the you know right sex writer at any rate 
Thank you again for your time and for being here. I really appreciate it. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on the social media for daily sex research updates. And I hope you'll check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, if you want to learn more about the science of sexual fantasies. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.